Hi, this is Be Play Love, the parenting podcast that you can fit in your pocket. Short, informative and interesting interviews about everything from toilet training to how emotion coaching works. I'm your host, Siobhan Hunt. The next interview is one of the diamonds from our archive. Enjoy. Resilience. For me, it's one of the main things I want my children to have. It may even come before kindness and compassion, which are very important to me. Because without resilience, I don't know how they're going to make it through life because it's quite a difficult world that we live in. But I'm not entirely sure how I can help my children gain this incredibly important skill. Karen Young is a psychologist and blogger at Hey Sigmund. She's written a great article about how to raise a resilient child. Hi, Karen. Hi, Siobhan. Can you tell us what's happening in the brain when we talk Mm. about resilience? So what happens with resilience is, well, really, I probably should talk about what happens with stress. So when people, kids and grown-ups get stressed, um, the the body activates his stress response and releases um, chemicals to help us deal with the stress. And the idea is to make us more alert or um, stronger, faster, whatever we need to deal with stress. In the short term, that's a good thing. So if you think of, um, you know, when you um, hit your toe, that response that you can just call out or, or do what you need to do power through an all-nighter it's a good thing in in the short term but it was only ever meant to be for the short term when that stress response stays on it starts to affect the body it attacks it doesn't attack that's a horrible word it starts to um, interfere with the part of the brain that deals with learning and memory and it can also start to interfere with the nervous system because it switches on those cells which is why often um, you know uni students will get sick around exam time because stress and it's it's just given their immune system a toweling so what we want to do resilience is about being able to call in the part of the brain at the front which is the calming soothing problem-solving, rational thinking part of the brain. When we can switch on that part of the brain, that part can um, start to calm down the stress re- stress response and reverse the, the surging of chemicals that are going through and causing a problem. When the duration of stress is as damaging as the intensity of the stress. So kids who are overscheduled or aren't getting to bed too late and their, their bodies are stressed, their minds are stressed, that's going to have an effect. What we want is to build resilience so they can bring in that calming part of their brain to reverse the physiological changes that'll do them harm. Okay, can you take me through a couple of your tips? One of the things that you wrote about that I am really interested in is this idea of nurturing a growth mindset. What's that? How do you do that? Okay, so there are two types of mindsets. There's a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Kids with and grown-ups, we, we generally have one or the other, some flip between the two. Um, a growth mindset, well, a fixed mindset is the belief that we're born with the brain we've got and we are only as smart as our brain will let us and so the, the intelligence we're born with or the qualities and skills we're born with are what we'll always have. A growth mindset is with effort and time I can make myself better. I can make myself smarter, braver, stronger, faster, um, more resilient. And the kids with a growth mindset, so we want to foster a growth mindset and you can change them. So kids will generally have one typically, but we can um, steer them in towards a growth mindset. So kids with a growth mindset will be more likely to 
try hard things, they'll rise to challenges, they'll ask for help when they need it because they've got this idea in the back of their minds that the only thing standing between them and success is the effort they're putting in and the time and the learning. They know they can get there. Whereas kids with a fixed mindset will give up because they'll go, well, I'm just not smart enough or I'm just not strong enough or fast enough. It feels like that's something that I'm thinking myself that I probably got a fixed mindset at school because that's when if you didn't go well at maths or you didn't do well at economics or what, I'm really expressing myself here. Maths and economics were not my forte. But you start to think... Oh, I'm no good at that. Whereas if you start, you do well in another subject. Absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, because before I was aware of this research, I was the same. I'm just not a maths person. I'm just not a science person. Yet my life is about science now. But even with my kids, when they were little and and they're very humanities and they're like me with maths and science. And I'd go, don't worry. It's okay. If maths and science isn't your thing, it's okay you will punch it out of the park with English and art and drama and all the rest of it. And then I started doing this and I thought, I've made a mistake. I've been doing this wrong with them. And the difference was phenomenal. Interestingly, one of my kids was quicker to take it on than the other one. So the other one was, and it takes, you know, it takes time. And I'd go, no, no, you are absolutely capable of doing this. You just have to work harder and give it some time and you absolutely can get there. And, and it can be a process and some kids are natu- will naturally tend towards them. And I think I naturally tended towards a fixed mindset. I know now I very much have a growth mindset, but you know, that's, that's been That's work. so interesting. So you, you've worked at getting a growth mindset because I'm listening to this going, oh, I am so fixed. Yeah. I am so fixed in my eye. How do you change that? It's giving things a go and, and over and over and over and it's being willing to um, take the imperfect steps and encourage your kids to take the imperfect steps and looking around. And I realised not many people get things the first go. And for me, if I couldn't get it the first go, I'd be more likely to not try it again now. And it, and it's really, it's a process. It's a relearning, you know, and because I know growth mindset is a thing and I go, no, I'm going to get this. I'm, I can get this. I can do this. And it is, it's, it's the self-talk that's important. And for our kids, it's our talk. It's what we tell them. You're listening to Kindling Conversation and I'm speaking with psychologist Karen Young about raising a resilient child. We were just talking about growth mindset and I was particularly fascinated on how that works with adults. And I guess that leads to my next question about role modeling. So we all know that role modeling is really important Mm. for kids, but I'm not entirely sure that I am a resilient person. I don't really, I know in theory what it is. I don't know what it looks like. So if we want to role model resilience, how do we do that for our kids? It's about showing them that it's okay if things don't work out. And Sometimes we feel, we can be tempted to feel like we have to protect them from all of that. We don't. Because as long as, the biggest thing for kids is, will I be okay in this? If you're okay in it, they'll be okay. So it's modeling, um, showing them the times if you take a wrong turn, oh no, took a wrong turn, that's okay. We're going to find another way to do this. That's good. I do that all the time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just this weekend, took the longest route to my best friend's house I have ever taken. Yeah. It's about letting them know, you know, if you didn't, if something didn't work out quite the way you wanted and verbalizing that and not, not keeping it to yourself because they need to see that that we struggle with things and we fall down sometimes. But then the important bit is 
but I know I'll be okay. I know there's another way to do this. And the thing that I say to my kids all the time is there's always a back door. There is always a back door. And I know that because of the number of times I've had to bang on the back door (laughs) to get what I need. And so it's the language that we start to use. There's always a plan B. There's always a third option. There's always a back door. And And it's opening them up to the idea that there is another way to do things. So when something doesn't work out, that's okay. There'll be a way to bounce back from this. One of the things with resilience is kids is the relationship they have. So one adult can make a big difference. There are some things we can't fix. There's going to be a lot of things that we can't fix. Part of resilience is learning that sometimes things will happen and they can't fix them, but they'll be okay. So when things like that happen that you just can't fix, what they need then is to be able to be okay with their big feelings and and have us just steady the ground with their big feelings. So even saying it's really sad, isn't it? When you lose something you you really want, I can see how much this has upset you. I would be really upset too. And what that does, um, there's a saying to name it to tame it. And if you can name an emotion, it tames the emotion. And this goes right back to the 60s. They were realizing that if we can name their feelings in kids, it will start to calm them down. And it's to do with the brain because the brain, the right brain is big feelings and the left brain makes sense of those feelings. And when they've got big feelings without the left brain sensibility and structure, it feels scary. It feels out of control. And by using words with them, and every time we use words, they're, they're, they're taking in the self-talk. So eventually that will, our words will become their words. What those words do is it calms it and it gives it structure. So it's okay for them to feel all feelings are okay and all feelings are important. As parents, our growth, and I'm still learning this one, <laughs> is to be okay when they're brokenhearted. You know, oh, I've got yeah, an 18-year-old and I still can't do it. It's, it's heartbreaking. And I think maybe when they're 40 and 50, it will still be hard. But it's about letting them see that they're okay, like they'll be okay. But actually saying, I'm wondering about language as well, Mm. because I have heard some parents when a child is crying and having a big moment, they'll say, oh, you'll be okay. Is that all right as well? Or is that sending mixed messages? Because they're Um, obviously not feeling okay. Yeah. But you're telling them they're going to be all right. What it can be doing is saying it's not okay to to feel those feelings. So I know sometimes um, that, and I think we've all done that, when it's in the middle of the shops and they're brokenhearted because they can't get the Kit Kat or whatever, and they're melting down. And so we'll go, no, it's okay. You'll be okay. We just need to get them to the car. Yes, yes. <laughs> Away <laughs> from all those people staring at <laughs> exactly. us. Exactly. But what we want to do is acknowledge the feeling and validate the feeling. And the more we do that, the more they can do it themselves. So that's the cornerstone of emotional intelligence is being able to recognize what they're feeling and manage that feeling and also be able to recognize that feeling in other people. And emotional intelligence is something that is... Um, a greater predictor of success than academic intelligence or IQ. So if we can name their feelings and just stay with them through it and let them, you know, get there themselves, that's a really good thing. The problem with with invalidating that emotion, and again, I say, you know, there are times where we just get stressed and we don't have that in us. The problem with that is it can make them feel like there's something wrong with them for having that feeling all feelings are okay. It's what we do with them. And, and even as we get older, we'll have big feelings. It's not always okay to show them. And we just have to put on a smiley face and be okay until we, you know, get in the car or whatever. 
But as much as we can, if we can validate and name the emotion, we're actually um, nurturing their emotional intelligence and their self-awareness. I have a friend whose um, little girl is so incredibly independent. They have a really great, strong relationship. Um, and it's interesting to watch that independence because I see that and I feel mm. already she's only three. I already feel she's got a certain element of resilience yeah. because she's, you know, off exploring things on her own and she still needs her mum, but it's it, it's obvious that she's independent. Um, what role does independence have in having a sense of resilience? Um, it's more a, um, a belief in the self to cope, but that independence shouldn't come at the cost of being able to help ask for help when they need it. Because there is this idea, and I think sometimes in kids' minds too, and certainly in adults, that to be brave and strong and resilient is to cope by yourself. And that's not how it is at all. And even at work, in business, wherever we need support sometimes in all sorts of areas of our life. So it's a really important skill that kids understand that they can ask for help when they need it. Now, as parents, we don't want to be helping them do things that they don't need us for because that's trampling on on their discovery and their exploration and their self-awareness. And But what we want to do is let them know that it's okay to ask for help. So independence is a great thing and it will hold kids in really good stead as long as there's an awareness that they can ask for help when they need it. Because this, the single most important thing for resilience um, is that relationship with just even one adult. And it doesn't have to be a parent. It can be a teacher or a grandparent or a sister, brother, that kids can come to when the world, actually not just kids, we all need it when the world feels a bit wobbly. Well, Karen, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you for having me. It was great to be here. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.